0: Welcome to Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This is part one of Guilty Pleasures, where Alan and I will be curating side A of a mixtape featuring the songs you love but pretend you hate.
1: Yeah, Guilty Pleasures. We all have them. Right. I mean, how else can you explain? Well, we're
0: you're... talking, we're talking music. Well, let's, yes. Let's make sure we yes. are very clear about that.
1: Well, oh, I thought that was assumed. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but I,
1: I do have guilty pleasures in other categories, but no, I, we all have the guilty pleasure songs. Um, how else can you explain why Spotify allows its subscribers to make their playlists private? Yes. You know, right. I mean, that, exactly. that, that button exists for a reason. Um, you know, I this was probably the hardest list uh, that I've had to compile since we've been doing the podcast.
0: Really? It was very simple for me. Really? No,
1: I I had a list, I kid you not, probably of 200 songs Hmm. at one point. Now, the problem is, though, I had the hardest time deciding what was and was not a guilty pleasure. That was part of the issue. Because society, culture, has already deemed certain artists guilty pleasures, which I do not agree with. Um, it, It was just... I don't know, I had a really difficult time with this one. And, but I will say, compiling my list for today, I did come to realize some truths, though, about Guilty Pleasures. For one thing, they are disproportionately represented by female artists.
0: Not on my list, I don't really? think. yeah, no, Overwhelmingly. definitely not.
1: Well, male teen idols and boy bands, they're, they're fair game, too, but, but the one glaring similarity that links all these artists together, at least from what I could tell, is their, their fan bases are primarily young and female. So, which kind of makes sense. I mean, pop has always been seen as women's music. It's the feminine to rock and roll's masculine, right? The stereotype goes that pop music lacks meaningful substance, and it's often attributed to the effeminate, whereas rock and roll has grunt and gusto and keeps its emotions in check. So, you know, it makes it worthy of pride to place on the man cave mantelpiece. But often what women and girls love is just tarred with that superficiality brush, I think. I mean, they're deemed hysterical for their fandom, even though men and boys might have the same level of passion for an artist without being considered frenzied or mad. Hell, the the pictures, the photographs of Beatlemania at its height, I think are sometimes used as evidence or to prove that idea. It's really just, I don't know, it's repugnant and it's, it's shameful, I think, the blatant sexism involved. But yeah, Cher, Shania Twain... Taylor Swift, Britney Spears. I'm not saying that necessarily. I feel they are all.
0: Taylor Swift is legit. Taylor Swift is legit.
1: Well, I would argue a a lot of them are.
0: I mean, in in a sense of just pure entertainment, like Cher. I mean, she's a Vegas act, basically. She is, yeah. But and 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 that's the thing. It's it guilty pleasures are fine. It simply means it's just, in, in my opinion, it's music that you wouldn't normally listen to. Right. It's somebody else's music that's not a guilty pleasure. So it's a very relative thing. Okay. And so I I don't want to be offensive and say, like, these songs are awful. They're just songs that don't match what people know that I enjoy. And because, you know, I'm a little bit vain sometimes. I'm maybe not blasted from my car window because I don't want people thinking I like that artist. But it's not to disparage other people's music. Okay, well, and that's fair. and I I would agree with you. So they're all legit. I didn't mean to say that Taylor Swift is the only legit. I guess from, from, from what I, my own... Definition of what I enjoy with music I, I really like where Taylor Swift is coming from. the other artists you mentioned I'm just not a fan
1: right no and i I, I get that and and I was just using them as examples you know but but it's I, I don't know my list is at one see and I went back and forth because it's there were times that my my list was very male dominated and then by the end with the songs that I finally chose it's it, it flipped and they are and the, the female singers are just very prevalent in, in what I've brought with me today. But you know, part of the snobbery and loathing around pop music also comes from the idea of it as a commercial enterprise, right? Which it can be make no mistake. but you, know, for music to be a sustainable career for its artists, it must make money. It's true of all genres. So I think too, what I, what I came to, to find is that,, you know, there's this noble idea of the starving artist. Especially in you know the the rock and roll world, the artist that had to pay his dues, but pop music being manufactured you know auto tuned and, and the like it's you know it 's considered by music snobs to not be legit i mean to use your word so. well
0: don 't you think it's more it 's not as much about the money i don 't think I think it 's more about the artistic process okay so a lot of the artists i 'm going to talk about, not all of them. But a lot of the artists um, are simply the vessels of performance, okay? Somebody, there's a songwriter out there, there's a producer out there, they package the whole thing together, they find somebody that has a voice and has the look, and maybe they can dance and they look good on a video, and they put the whole package together. And, and And that's fine. But... I think what maybe you're referring to with, you know, more of a quote artistic statement or what true rock and roll is about is about a, a person or group of people normally, right. That come together in a garage yeah and they have an idea and they have an image. And usually that image is counterculture and they write songs, they define their own musical identity. And if they become accepted by society and make lots of money, that's great. But it's something that came from them. It wasn't packaged from right. the outside.
1: Yeah. Well, and And that's, that's exactly my point is that a lot of, A lot of the the guilty pleasures seem to come from, you know, that that corporate production. Right. So, but, you know, you also have guilty pleasures, of course, that that fall into the category So Bad They're Good, which I I have a few of (laughs) as well. Um, You know, these are often one-hit wonders, but they can also be songs by established artists who have jumped the shark. I mean, Susudio. So I don't need to go any further than Susudio.
0: See, I'm okay with Phil up until like the Tarzan years. I'm okay with him. Well, that's where he he jumped the shark for me. And again, it's great. He's great for a Disney film, and I and I love the fact that people enjoy that music. And I will say, I just said this the other day to a coworker. I can't think of any other artist that has a range like Phil Collins to go from the progressive stuff that Genesis was doing in like 1968 to go to You'll Be In My Heart from Tarzan, is there any other artist that had that much of an evolution in his or her artistry? Mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't think of any. Uh,
1: you could probably make an argument for, I well, no. not I was going to say Clapton because he's... Really, I mean,
0: he's become adult contemporary, well, but, but...
1: But that also is in large part due to Phil Collins. Because but, but, Phil, uh, Phil started producing Clapton's yes, albums.
0: But even yeah. his early stuff with all the different bands in the mid-60s, it wasn't the weird prog stuff that Genesis no, no, was doing. Well,
1: few bands <laughs> right. were prog rock. Um, now, well, okay. Let's see if you agree with me on this one. The grandest example of so bad they're good has to be "We Are the World." I almost included it for this episode. I mean, its heart was in the right place, but charitable intentions couldn't hide that it's just a stinker of a song. I mean, Prince and Madonna knew it was, you know, and despite huge criticism at the time, they wisely refused to take part. It, it, it absolutely pains me that so many of my musical heroes, Springsteen, Joel, Bob Dylan, Ray Charles, among others, feature on one of the worst songs ever recorded.
0: And Dan Aykroyd for some reason. Yeah, right?
1: <laughs> but but I still dig the song, right? It's so bad, it's
0: it's. I I don't great. know. To me, to be, to be a guilty pleasure, it has to be a pleasure. <laughs> and that song is not a pleasure. <laughs> well, to me, I'd, It's not fun to listen to. It's nostalgic, I'll give you that, but well, it's not a pleasure to listen well, to. Well,
1: no, I wouldn't say it's fun.
0: to I didn't include it,
1: but I came yeah. real close. I wouldn't say it's fun to listen to, but it's all of these. It's a virtual who's who of, of you know all of these iconic stars that growing up meant the world to me. So it is. It, it probably is nostalgia more than anything. It's
0: else. nostalgia, but it's it's a horrible song, and in fact, Lionel Richie would uh, well, disagree because didn't he write that with Quincy Jones? No, he wrote it with uh, Michael. Oh, Michael with Michael. Yeah. Okay,
1: he wrote it with Michael Jackson. But Quincy produced it. You know who was largely responsible for actually bringing in the stars was Springsteen. They were having a really difficult time getting anyone to agree until Springsteen signed on and then the floodgates opened. They couldn't, I mean, they had to turn artists down.
0: They yeah, but so this was, this was, you know, getting into Springsteen's activism, right? He had I mean, done the yeah. No Nukes concert. Right. Um, Born in the USA, of course, was all about the failed American dream and so that did fit in. It's not his style of music but it makes complete sense that he would want to do right. something to give back. Yeah. But,
1: no, I, the one thing that, I just kept thinking, though, as I was compiling my list. There's a difference between enjoying the cringe factor and seeing a piece of work for what it is. Right? Celine Dion might seem an embarrassing choice of music, you know, for a given demographic. But if you claim to enjoy the absurdity and silliness of her music, rather than genuinely enjoying her magnificent voice, it's a get-out-of-jail-free card. Which, to me, is absurd. Right? Why is it more important to be cool than to be happy? So that's that's the very idea that I, I'm trying to. Just make some amends with. I mean, guilty pleasures. Uh, there shouldn't be any such thing as a guilty pleasure. I mean, guilt. I mean, let's quote New Order, right? I mean, it, it's a useless emotion, especially when it comes to popular music. If you like something, own it, right? After all, what what makes a song respectable, and who is responsible for making it so? It's all about passing trends. I mean, look at disco. You know, the Bee Gees were the most hated band after the fall of disco. Barry Gibb had to actually continue writing music under, you know, a, a pseudonym. He had to he had to go underground to actually write his music because his name was just tarred and feathered. Today, I would argue, very few people have any shame or guilt playing the Bee Gees, blasting
0: it from their stereo again. So, see, I think when you talk about okay, maybe this defines it a little more clearly. At least where I'm coming from, it, it it's not as much. Part of it is, yeah, maybe being embarrassed listening to it. But I think when you really boil it down, it's hard to define art, of course, right? But but art, I'm just gonna be really, really general here. Art, it has something to say, right? should. It has something to say. Well, I'm not and, sure. And it has something think, to say. Either, I think all songs do. E- either in a social context, it has something to say about society or about who we are or the human condition, or it has something to say in originality, okay? So you might have a song musically that's original, OK, and so that makes an artistic statement, maybe lyrically, maybe just by the attitude. I mean, look at The Clash. I mean, The Clash was all over the place, experimenting with different musical styles. You could argue that some of the stuff wasn't as original, but then they had <laughs> the whole social aspect of the band and the time when they were making music and the country where they're making music and the statement. It's a package deal, right? In it context, is. all art is that way. And when you have guilty pleasure, and most guilty pleasure music is what I would just call bubblegum music, right? Uh, Yeah. It's it's simply for entertainment. And so a horrible analogy would be it's like a really nutritious meal that may or may not taste good, but it's good for you, versus candy, right? And the guilty pleasure stuff is candy. So it's not bad. It's just not really substantial in any way. It's not going to make you a better person. It's not going to help you grow. It's not going to make society look at itself and, you know, reflect most of the guilty pleasures are candy.
1: You know, that was a perfect analogy. Okay, I'll take that. It, it, it was, but, you know, I would take candy any day over a nutritious meal that has no flavor.
0: That's what I'm saying. It can be good or, you know, yeah. you can have good nutritious food. And that's why some, for instance, some people might look at Prog Rock that way and say, oh, that's that's a nutritious meal. It just doesn't taste good to me. And that's fine. I respect that. I also would argue the more you listen to prog rock and the more you understand what's going on and the more you give it a chance, just like any food that you may not have a taste for originally, usually when you grow into something, you have a greater appreciation for that, whereas the thing that is sweet to the tongue or to the ear in this case, right away, has a tendency to get old pretty quickly.
1: It does. Yeah, no, that, that is... Chewing
0: a chewing gum, losing to. its flavor.
1: Yeah. Excellent point. Yeah, it's
0: fruit stripe. <laughs>
1: so, I, I don't know. I... I regardless i mean this mixtape is going to include some of the many songs that i am ashamed to like but not really it's really how i'm going to define it yeah. i mean, I mean it, it, what what were your parameters because okay. I, I feel like we maybe came at this from slightly different angles
0: i didn't take any other buddy any nobody's opinion about what a guilty pleasure is factored in i didn't spend any time reading about it i didn't talk to anybody about it I've always used guilty pleasures as a shield for if somebody was over and they happened to find, you know, hidden underneath my CD collection sticking out slightly a particular CD, and I can say, oh, well, yeah, that's just that's just that's just fun, that's just, yeah, that's just silly, you know? That's not serious. Um, even though it might be a CD I'd love to listen to. But, and, and frankly, maybe I shouldn't feel that way about it, but That that's a guilty pleasure.
1: But if they were
0: questioning the CD, then I would argue that that
1: CD very likely is what society would would call a guilty pleasure. Why else would they question it being in your collection? But like collection? I
0: said, relative, again, somebody else, that might be their favorite CD, and they're very proud to well, play well, it. True. So it's yeah. all relative. So basically, all of my songs are songs, first of all, they're all songs I love. Okay. They're all songs that um, I, I, I've never gotten sick of. Mm-hmm. They're all songs that I, I listen to, you know, when I have an opportunity to listen to. Um, and I enjoy them very much. Uh, none of them <laughs> are a nutritious meal; <laughs> they're all pure, you know, empty calories. Okay. Um, they're all songs that make me feel better if I'm in a bad mood, and they're all songs, frankly, that I would not play with my window down, trying to impress. Not that I'm driving around with my window down trying to impress somebody. I guess that's just kind of a, a, a statement. But put it this way, in a more practical sense, uh, if I were, let's say, I'm going to take a coworker to lunch, you know, they'd say, hey, "Can I get a ride with you?" These aren't the songs I'm playing on my stereo. Okay. Got it. All right. Well, I, I have songs that fit your
1: qualifications, but I also have songs that I think society deems a guilty pleasure, and I very deliberately put them on my list because I disagree. I mean, I, I you know, the, for instance, I have The Carpenters coming up, mm-hmm. okay? The Carpenters, to me, are not a guilty pleasure, of course but not. they definitely made my list because they are so categorized and classified as guilty pleasure that, you know, if 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 our culture says that they are fine, but I'm going to include them because
0: and I, I will fight those people. I, I love
1: them. You know, <laughs> it's um, just as an
0: example. Um, I mean, OK, I, I, I get it. I, I can see where, where people can come. I mean, it's it's light. It's it's easy listening. It's good. 70s. It's. Yeah, Easy I, listening. I love Karen. I love Karen. But,
1: yeah, it, it can be elevator music. And
0: not everything the Carpenters did was great. I mean, there's a lot of filler stuff, right? Right. But if you look at, it, at a, 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 like, a compilation of, of what they achieved, you know, in, in the time when they were writing music and, and recording, uh, her voice, um, just the arrangement, you know, Richard's arrangements of the songs... There, there, there's an element there that you're right is not respected by society but people who know what they're talking about oh, understand without question okay so yeah I'm not gonna you know necessarily put on the carpenters when a stranger not a stranger <laughs> again someone I don't know very well is in my car and I'm trying to create cultivate some ridiculous do you, do you image pick, do you pick up strangers often there? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna play the carpenters so yeah in a sense you could say that I would consider them a guilty pleasure in that way but but there's enough there there's enough artistry there there's enough substantial stuff there to me it separates them from guilty pleasure but i can see from the surface how people would put them in the same category right.
1: and that's why they made my list not because i deem them so but because that's that's where you find them in the in the record bin yep. you know so yep. i if, if i'm being told they're a guilty pleasure then damn it they're making it and, my, and making i gotta list.
0: i gotta think it's generational too Okay. Oh, it is because Gen X. We have our own version of what would be considered, you know, the consensus of a guilty pleasure. I'm sure it's completely different. It is with Gen I, Z and millennials and boomers. I,
1: I can attest that because literally, my wife, who is she's she's on the bubble. She is Gen X, but she is born in the last year of Gen X, so she has many of those, you know, millennial attributes. She and my sons, both of them argued against very nearly every song that I have brought today because they insisted that none of these songs are guilty pleasures. And I'm sorry, some of these songs are most definitely guilty pleasures, but they, yeah, I, the Millennials, the, the Gen Z, yeah, they, they have an entirely different worldview. So uh, I, I don't know. It, it's really interesting. So well,
0: I, I'm, I'm hoping that the audience weighs in on this one. Uh, After you listen to this episode, should you make it to the end of both sides? We have no idea how long this is (laughs) going to take today. Um, Please um, let us know if we're way off base. If if what we just brought up and talked about, or are we missing the point here? Are we just two snobs? Um, Let us know.
1: Yeah. Wow, this may be the longest intro we've ever
0: had. No, it it is the longest intro we've ever had. But but here's the
1: thing. I think it was was important. No, it's important. It's important to to actually establish a baseline as we move forward. So... I'm good if you're ready to begin.
0: All right. So you're the first pick.
1: I, I go first, yeah. All right, so side A, song number one. Ready? What happens when you mix folk, bluegrass, and techno music?
0: Cotton Eye Joe. That's,
1: yeah, that's exactly what you end up with. Um, the, yeah. most, the most unlikely hit of 1994, right? Uh, it, it's a backwater Eurodance novelty hit. Cotton Eye Joe is a track, though, that is so infernally catchy that you almost don't notice how screamingly funny it is. And the international hit, it works on that basic, energetic, rump-shaking level uh, to me. Now, here comes my unpopular opinion of the day. I loathe line dances. I mean I
0: hate them I don't think that's a that's a hot take I think a lot of people would agree uh, with you on well, that
1: well but here's the thing I'm, I'm coming at this as a wedding DJ well
0: okay so you but, see a side I don't I, see I do
1: the cha-cha slide the cupid um, shuffle the electric slide I hate them all
0: so let me ask you a quick question uh, I, as a wedding oh, DJ okay yeah because at my wedding, I specifically asked that those songs not be played. I did too. And the, and the DJ defied, and, and I don't necessarily disagree, because really, the, the wedding reception is for my guests, not for me, and he was trying to be a good DJ, and that's what the people wanted, and that's what he gave them. Is that the decision you make? Do you overrule the no. wedding party, I, if the I, people want what no. they wanna
1: I, hear? I, I get paid by the couple, gotcha. and for that reason, I mean, because when I DJ, they customize, they personalize everything. If they say no line dances, I play no line dances. But I can tell you that when I play no line dances, their attendees are not happy campers. Yeah, okay. Be- well, and it, it kind of makes sense. I mean, for one thing, line dances are a DJ's best friend. They're guaranteed to fill the dance floor. And, and those who lack rhythm need only follow the steps to fit in. No one judges a line dancer's moves, right? So f- for that reason alone, many people only feel comfortable on the dance floor.
0: When they're line dancing. Okay. Well, no, no. Wait. Sorry. I'm just just thinking here. So I understand if you're a live band, you want to have somebody, you want an audience dancing, or at least up in front, paying attention to the music. But it's the same for a DJ. Because I would think as a DJ, it doesn't matter if anyone's dancing or not. Oh, you're no. just you're providing the background music.
1: No, uh, they hire us to keep the party going. Okay. So I mean, now I have played those gigs where I am background music. Right. And you know, it they want classic rock, but. You know that is a very different kind of reception. Sure. If they want the party going and continuing, sustaining, you know, until last call,
0: then you add alcohol. Well, you do
1: add alcohol. Yeah, yeah. that's that's the general rule. But no, I mean, my my job is to keep the dance floor filled. Here's the thing: when you attend a wedding, okay, you really only remember two things about that wedding years later. You remember if the music was good, and you remember if the food was good. Nothing else really comes into play. In fact, I would argue most people don't remember the ceremony It's the party after good I mean point. was the food good and, and generally, you can tell whether or not you're successful because if you are then attendees who are you know in that planning stage for their own weddings they start asking for business cards I and mean, it happens all the time so yeah if, if I don't keep that dance floor filled, then you know they they look at me like I am just you know just inept no, well, in
0: to my... I'll quit uh, asking about what le- wedding DJs. Let's get back to Co- Cotton Eye Joe.
1: <laughs> well, no, I think that was important, too. I, here's the thing, okay? As much as I hate line dances, I love Cotton Eye Joe. It is the one line dance that I absolutely love. I mean, it was originally, you know, an American folk tune, right? But I think it was probably... Have you ever seen Urban Cowboy, the John Travolta film? I have not. Okay. Well, that movie renewed interest in the song. I mean, it... It was, um, it was basically, from that moment forward until now, uh, that was what brought it back. And it, it's been a staple of honky-tonks since 1980 in that film. Well, the fun part of this is, upon its release, this novelty version, right, Cotton Eye Joe by Rednecks, it was embraced by those same country fans. But I'm not sure that they have ever been in on the joke. I mean, I honestly can't say but I'm still dumbfounded whenever I see country fans enthusiastically line dancing to this song because it was written to purposefully mock them in its overt stereotyping. I mean, the song was, was the brainchild of Swedish producers, and after they had written the single, they came up with the country bumpkin motif, and then they chose the deliberately misspelled rednecks with an X as the name for their band. Next, they found five Swedish performers to portray the band, and they dressed them in tattered clothes, giving them a stereotypically hillbilly look with unkempt hair and dirty faces. And then, on top of all that, in a cagey marketing move, they refused interviews and released a bio to the press that explained that the group was rescued from an uncivilized village in the backwoods of Idaho and brought to Sweden where they could express their musical gifts. And they named the performers Bobby Sue, Billy Ray, Mary Joe, B.B. Stiff, and Ken Tacky and the bio red they were all inbred yeah. this is the band the country line dancers just flock to the dance floor whenever it plays and they, they just i mean they're grinning ear to ear got, dancing to a song that is just very obviously
0: you know ridicule more than them. the boot scoot and boogie
1: oh yeah well the boot scoot and boogie i mean that that's actual you know those are country performers that that's
0: no, I know, but I mean, it, it is it more popular oh, yeah, with today. country fans than the boots, yeah. Scoot and Boogie?
1: Oh, yeah, because boots, Scoot and Boogie, I mean, only country fans know the dance moves to that line dance. Cotton Eye Joe, I mean, it brings people of all interests. Do country
0: fans do the cha-cha slide, too? Oh, yeah. So yeah. what you're saying, or wedding reception is a place where society finally melts together? In many ways, good. yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, but, well, but where we live here in Northeast Ohio, you have, to be cu- you have to be careful with country music, though. You can play a country song, maybe two, once you hit three country songs in succession, unless every person at that wedding is a country fan and knows the dance moves to every, because every country song I swear has a line dance. Everyone, if you do not have the die-hard country fans that go to the saloon every you know Saturday night to ride the electric bull, you're going to kill your dance floor because country I mean it, it it clears the floor pretty quickly after after a
2: while
1: <laughs> The song was first released in Europe, and it immediately took off. It went to number one in like 12 different nations. In America, it got a far less enthusiastic response. It peaked at number 25 in May of 95. But I am also a huge baseball fan. And while American radio stations shunned this song, music directors at baseball stadiums embraced it. And the song spread through the sports world. So as a baseball fan, I mean, I typically attend a half dozen ball games every summer. And it was through repeated play over the speakers of Progressive Field that I really came to to love this song. I mean, America is where the song dug in its boots and kind of held the line. And it, it remains a sporting event staple. So, you know, if you see a mascot dancing on top of a dugout between innings, there is a very good chance that Cotton Eye Joe is playing. So, you know, as a DJ, actually enjoying country fans, you know, dancing as they are being, you know, scorned by the song itself, and as a baseball fan... I thought it was the perfect song to to kick off.
0: All right, the next tape. Well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna debate that. It's not a guilty pleasure of mine. I mean, it's a catchy tune, but it's not one that I ever, you know, had a had a thing with that I wanted to listen to. But is it
1: one that you would crank on the on the stereo and? Oh, I definitely wouldn't. Okay, so at least but it's I'm... not
0: it's not a particular pleasure either. Right, I'm, no, I, I'm neutral I get, on the pleasure yeah. part. No,
1: I, I follow you on that. Yeah,
0: but you would, yeah. you would at least agree. Yeah, yeah, that, it's not a. Yeah, this is not a. Song. It's a novelty song.
1: Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we're we're.
0: We're good on that one. We're good on
1: that one. All right.
0: All right. My, my pick here. Um, yep. You mentioned the Swedes. We're, we're going to be talking, at least I'm going to be talking a lot about the Swedes here um, during this episode. Okay. Um, in, in the night we were talking pre-show, um, there is a Netflix uh, documentary series called This Is Pop. I definitely, uh, this audience should check it out. Um, you, will, you will like it. You will dig it. There is an episode, I think it's episode four, that talks about the Swedish music factory that I was not aware even existed and I have several picks um, from these songwriters and producers Um, most of them were not Swedish the performers were not Swedish right so what they did was they so I'll just say it, it goes back to ABBA right in the 70s ABBA was huge right they had all sorts of great pop songs people would argue that they're a guilty pleasure band I would argue kind of along the same lines as the Carpenters that there's a lot of a lot of legitimacy there but we won't go into that Then my next pick is in 1992 when these producers and the studio decided to take what ABBA had done successfully in the 70s and try to translate it again, but with Swedish artists. And they actually got lucky a few times, a few hit singles. Are we talking Ace of Base? We're talking Ace of (laughs) Base, which is basically ABBA 2.0. Yeah. Uh,
1: Yeah.
0: Without question. Two men, two women Mm -hmm. singing the same types of pop songs. Um, this immediately came to mind when we talked about Guilty Pleasures it came out in 1992 when grunge was the thing okay this is the anti-grunge uh, anti-alternative music this is just I mean if you want to know why this is a Guilty Pleasure just listen to the first four or five seconds and you hear that drum machine and any you know legitimate musician just cringes when they hear that drum machine Yeah, but I love this song which one did you go with? I went with the sign.
1: Good, that's, I, mean, I'm, I own. All that she I, I wants own, is, is yeah. good
0: too, but I went with the sign. Yeah.
1: I actually, I purchased the CD when it came out. It's in my collection. Um, but the sign is the one that hands down, that, that if you're going Guilty Pleasure, you yes. gotta go no, with the that's, sign. Yes, so that's, that's, that's number
0: one for me. All right, I'm
1: glad that we agree, at least with your pick.
0: I, uh, I can't understand the lyrics with the heavy accents or maybe every other word, but as we've established on this program, um, I am, for the most part, a music-first guy. Yes. So it doesn't matter to me what the sign is. In fact, after all these years, I have no idea what the song's about. I don't know what the sign is. I don't care, because you know what? Melody is king, and this melody is infectious. figured out it's like a trade secret they figured out some formula built on ABBA music that just creates hit after hit after hit with melody and this is a great example I never get tired of this song Uh, it makes me miss the 90s but yes, you know, in college, if I'm at a party and somebody puts me in charge of the stereo and I'm playing what people want to hear at the time, which was grunge alternative. Oh, yeah. I am not going to sneak in Ace of Base no. the sign. Not no. going to do it. No. I, Perfect example of a guilty pleasure. As I said, I
1: purchased that CD. I don't know that any of my friends knew that I owned it. Yes. <laughs> so very, very purposefully on my part. Um yeah, no, the, I, I'm with you.
0: The song makes you feel better, though, about your today, about your tomorrow. I, I challenge anyone, if you're just feeling down, just put on the sign. I'm telling you, you'll feel better. Um, that's where I'm going to begin.
1: Okay. Now, I, I dig it. All right. Well, my second song. Um, this came uh, out in 1970 on the album Candida. Uh, it was a number one Um by Tony, Orlando, and Dawn. Oh, no.
0: Okay.
1: Now, befo- this qualifies.
0: Before you cringe, this it, qualifies. Is not,
1: it is not Tie the Yellow Ribbon Around the Oh, ear. okay.
0: No. Okay. Um,
1: that one, while I, I don't hate that song. That's not the that's one. That's the whitest
0: where, song ever it, it recorded. It really is.
1: But that's not the one that does it for me. Okay. I have a story for this one. All okay? right. Now, I will forever associate. Just knock three times? Yes. Okay. I will forever associate knock three times with the Hooters girls in Toledo. Okay, you ready for this story? It's, it's is this wild.
0: appropriate for our it is
1: appropriate, yes.
0: rating on yes, I, it Apple is, Podcasts? It is absolutely okay.
1: appropriate. In our last two years at BG, I traveled to and from the Toledo area all the time because I was teaching religious school at the synagogue, Temple B'nai Israel in Sylvania.
0: And you took okay. them to Hooters? No, oh, okay. I did not
1: take the kids to Hooters. But, um, you know, I, religious school was on Sunday mornings. So on one of those commutes, I stopped at Hooters before heading back to campus because it was a Sunday afternoon, I was hungry for wings, and I figured I'd watch the Browns play while enjoying a beer at the bar. This was the 94 season
0: before. Oh yeah, the last time they yeah, went to the playoffs exactly, before last before season, Modell yeah. moved
1: the team to Baltimore, the Browns finished the season as the NFL's number one defense in terms of points surrendered per game under head coach Bill Belichick. So it, it was an exciting time for Browns fans. So I'm sitting in Hooters, right, and I strike up a conversation with the bartender. She was a Cleveland native, and she was attending school at the University of Toledo. I have no idea what her name is anymore. That 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 part of the story has totally escaped me. But we were we were talking about the Browns, you know, we were we were discussing that very topic when she excused herself and she told me she had to get ready to dance, which I I really did not understand because I had been to Hooters Many times before, and I—I I, who dances at a
0: Hooters. No, don't they right? dance like on the hours? Well, and, every uh, hour? and that's the
1: thing. Yeah, I wouldn't
0: know that because I've never I, been I, there. <laughs> you are such a liar.
1: I, but nonetheless, Not in the
0: last thirty years.
1: Well, but okay. So anyway, just then the music got louder, right, and every girl in the restaurant began dancing to Tony Orlando and Dawn. Hmm. Okay, it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. The girls held servers' trays as props as they danced, and something I found. Odd, I, who you know who who dances with a service tray until, bang bang bang! I mean, they smacked these trays hard on the nearest flat surface in time to the three knocks of the song, right? And it, it was fun to watch. But then uh, they were Hooters girls, and you know, always fun to watch. You know whether they were dancing or not. So all the men, you know, they they all turned. They weren't watching football now. They were watching the girls, which was kind of comical to me at the time. So when the song came to an end and the bartender returned to her post, I had lost all interest in the Browns. <laughs> and and our conversation drifted instead to the spectacle that I just I had just watched, right? And she confessed, red faced, that she loved the song. And so from that moment on, I've loved the song. Hey.
2: If you want me, mm,
3: twice on the pipe. If
2: the answer is no, oh, my sweetness means you meet me in the hallway. Oh, twice on the pipe means you ain't gonna show.
1: I will forever associate it. With the Hooters girls in Toledo, Ohio, but it is also one of the catchiest damn songs of the 1970s. I mean, it's just the just the the, the rhythm and the the brass section of this song. Is that a
0: Burt Bacharach song? It sounds like it might be from his catalog. No, no, no,
1: I don't believe so. Um, now, Tony Orlando may very very likely have have performed some Bacharach tunes, but no, I don't think this one was was Burt's. But yeah, it, it just. When you see Hooters girls dancing and smacking their trays to, to you know the, the three times that you're knocking on the ceiling if you want him, I mean it's it's just forever after you love this song. So
0: Well should I ever be in Toledo and be near the Hooters, I will be sure to request knock three talks.
1: Right. Well, in fairness, this was thirty years ago. Yes. <laughs> so I cannot promise you that they do this any anymore. In fact I would I I'm sure they do not Perform to this song anymore but in 1994 they were shaking you know their assets to tony orlando and i that song has been with me
0: right. ever since Very so
1: good.
0: my next one is late 90s and this one is a guilty pleasure and it, it's kind of a guilty pleasure for me kind of i probably wouldn't have included it other than the fact that it's my wife's number one guilty pleasure song really and if I didn't include it, then I'd probably be sleeping on the couch tonight.
1: <laughs> oh, no one wants that.
0: Um, this is Mm Bop oh, by Hanson. Hanson. <laughs> I
1: okay. You ready? Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm throwing. I'm just putting it out there. I love this song. All right. Well,
0: there we go. I love
1: it. I. I this is one that you know. I almost put it on my list, but my wife even looked at me because I already said that my wife, you know, argued that none of my songs were guilty pleasures. That one, she said, is a guilty pleasure. And she looked at me and she said, are you really going to tell the world
0: that you are a handsome <laughs> Well, you just fan? did. Well, I just well, did. Well, you don't have to be a handsome fan to, like, Mm-bop.
1: Yeah, it's, it's just catchy as hell.
0: But I will say, um, I, I respect the fact that this is, this is the homegrown band. They're, they're, they're brothers, they are. right? Yep. Uh, they're musicians, and they wrote this song. So it's a guilty pleasure, but I give a little bit of respect to the fact that they, they came up with this pop sensation I mean you couldn't go anywhere in nineteen ninety seven without hearing people humming or singing this song. Oh
1: yeah. It's still request I mean, again, as yeah. the DJ, it's requested yeah. all the time.
0: I think it's a whole new generation's adopted it. And so it's one thing for a Swedish hit factory with formulas and data to come up with the next melody that's gonna be a hit. But from three boys, I think they're from Texas. I'm not sure. Um, to come up with that a, a, a formula on their own that's still being played today that's that's pretty incredible. That's that's pretty impressive. I give them props for that.
1: This song has always, to me, it, it, it felt like just the, the, you know, the next step in the evolution from the Jackson 5. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very similar in structure and sound to what the Jackson 5 was doing yes, in the early it 70s. Is, it, is, it is. So, yeah, I, I, I've always been a fan of this song. It's not one that I ever would have admitted to until this very moment, but um, th- I do not own it. Well, I have it as a DJ in my in my drive, but yeah, i never purchased the Hanson CD, but it, that hook, I mean, from, from the very intro, you know, it's just, it, it sucks
0: you. Well, I, I mean, I've heard, I mean, again, people, music snobs, musicians, and they will admit, I mean, it's just, it's a great melody. It's a great pop song. It, it may, it, some people, it may drive nuts. Maybe it's an earworm for some people, but I, it seems to have really aged appropriately. Um, and it still gets respect for for what it is. And it, it sounds like I'm disparaging. I'm not trying to. Um, it's like I'm not going to play it with the windows down. I'm not going <laughs> to roll up to work playing Hanson. Um, but, uh, it, again, it's it's a great pop tune. I'm going to say that a lot for a lot of these choices. And it, 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 it's bubblegum, but it's bubblegum that reminds me of the carefree 90s. Well, I mean, I don't know if they really were as carefree as we like to remember them. But during the, the times in which we live... I really get nostalgic for the time period when things seemed a lot easier. Yeah,
1: yeah. And and isn't that the truth? Okay, well, if I admit to Hanson, I might as well admit to this next one, which I intended to anyway, because it is selection number three. This one is from 1988, from an album titled Forever Your Girl. It is straight up by Paula, Paula Abdul. Paula Abdul, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, now, poor Paula. I mean, she gets no respect, right? From 1988 to 1991, she she dominated the charts with, count them, six consecutive number one songs.
0: That's impressive.
1: It, it really is. The first of those number one singles was Straight Up, and it was the best-selling single of 1989. Still, music snobs everywhere turned up their noses at her and, and accused her of, of, you know, totally manufactured pro-tooled pop.
0: That even was before Pro Tools.
1: Well, no, she actually she actually had had used it on, on
0: Oh, was it that yeah, early? Yeah. I thought it came out no, later. She is one of the. Well, first I don't starters. think it was widely available to the public. Right. No, the it time. wasn't. But it was one of the first
1: um, one of the first albums that was used with Pro Tools. Gotcha. Okay, so you know, even as they listened to the single of Cold Hearted while getting ready for Home Room, you know, they they thumbed their, their noses at at you know the production values. Of, of her of her album so Paula you know I mean in many ways she was probably a visionary if we had known then that manufactured pro-tooled pop was the wave of the future you know without question she would have been deemed a visionary instead of the kind of girl you mock in public and make out with in private right but here's the thing that I've when Forever Your Girl was released, that's a great
0: definition of guilty pleasure, by the way.
1: It, is, yeah, I. I mean, like it's, it's
0: it's not a very respectful one, but it it's is. Not, it's not, but, but it <laughs> that's is a good example. Yeah,
1: but here's the thing about Forever Your Girl. Okay, when that album came out, I was way into Paula. Okay, that she was a nice Jewish girl only added to her appeal for me. <laughs> but Forever Your Girl was actually the very last album that I purchased on vinyl at least until I began collecting records again in the early 2000s. Did my friends know I was a Paula Abdul fan? Hell no. We never talked about that, and I wasn't about to bring it up, right? So even in 1988, I kept my fandom a dirty little secret. So it kind of feels good to get it off my chest. It's been a heavy burden to to bear all these years. Um, but, But look, Paula was scorching hot in the late 80s and early 90s, largely in part to that first number one, straight up,
0: which I, I kind of dig that too. Yeah, a good well, tune. well,
1: and that's the, that's the song that I chose. Yeah, yeah, I mean it, it's yeah. catchy.
0: Is that it, the one with the cat in the video?
1: No, that's the opposite to attract.
0: Which is the one with Cannery Reeves, Was that was Rush Rush? Rush Rush yeah, was yeah. Cannery Reeves,
1: Yeah, which I almost went with that one. Um, I mean it's it is just pure saccharine, but it's also that video is is filmed location by location. I mean, it's a retelling of Rebel Without a Cause. Right, right. So, you know, and Paul Abdul looked great in, you know, 1950s vintage clothing.
0: It's probably not fair that most people remember Paul Abdul for the cartoon cat, though.
1: Yeah, well, well arguably. But but straight up, straight up was the black and white uh, video. I mean, it was, oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah
1: where she, I mean, she, she choreographed all of her own videos. In fact,
0: she... She was a Laker girl. And, well, yeah,
1: she was a Laker girl. She choreographed for Everybody. Mm-hmm. Duran Duran, Warren Zevon, the Jacksons, Janet Jackson, Z Top. I mean, there was not <laughs> ZZ Top danced. Yeah, yeah. She she actually and then she, and then Hollywood came come came calling. She choreographed for so many films. In fact, she is in many ways responsible for Tom Hanks becoming the iconic lovable figure that he was because she choreographed the scene with, with Robert Loggia uh, on the FAO Schwartz piano. Mm, in Big. Interesting. I mean she was everywhere. But but nonetheless, okay, I, Straight Up, it's catchy, it has this hauntingly melodic beat, and here's the truth, I've wanted to dislike this song. <laughs> I really have, but I just can't seem to muster the hate. I mean, Straight Up is a perfectly constructed and delivered pop song, and improbably, it doesn't seem to age like many of the synth-driven singles from that era. I mean, it's, it's the song that Paula was put on this earth to sing, and you know, it fit the late 80s zeitgeist. The song isn't exactly New Jack Swing, since that term kind of implies something rooted in R&B. Paula was never an R&B singer. But the song's got that syncopated drum machine swing beat, and it's close enough that the song reached number two on the R&B charts. And there's also some great hesitation in the drum programming on Straight Up. I mean, you're right. I I am a drummer. So the drum machine is like, it is. It's cringeworthy. But, you know, she has all of these electronic elements falling all over each other, and they all hit at exactly the right moment. I mean, there's just something almost magical about the damn drum machine on this song. So I, I, it gets a free pass. And it has hooks on top of hooks. I mean, there there are so many catchy little things going on in the song. The the, the deliriously fake hornblats, the vrooming synth just before the chorus, the, there's the power chord guitars buried in the mix, and the drums sound huge. They fall over each other, barely leaving any room for Paula's voice. But she still projects a ton of personality into the song. I mean, she's you know, she almost has a rapper's phrasing. And she doesn't hit big notes. I mean, she's never been a, a vocal powerhouse. But on the verses, she almost sounds like she's doing a call and response duet with the keyboard riff. And on the chorus, the oh, 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 backup vocal set her off perfectly. And then there's that that bridge. I mean, she crushes it. The ba 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 is just so silly and so perfect, and it immediately etches itself in your brain.
0: Oh, good pick, good pick. That's definitely a guilty pleasure. I agree with that. Okay. Um, my second. Am I only? in my, No, it's my third pick now. Third pick. Third yeah. pick. Third pick. You know how I feel about hair bands. Anyone that's a regular listener to the show knows how I feel about hair bands. So it would make it would make sense that if I were to choose a hair band song, they would qualify for me as a guilty pleasure.
1: I can't wait to hear which one you chose.
0: It's from 1987. I, it seems to be a trend here. My songs are either from the 90s, the late 80s, or the late 70s. Mine too. Yeah. I have one that on the alternates list that is actually in the early 80s, but it's hard for me to call most stuff from the early 80s a guilty pleasure because I was growing up at the time and so nostalgic. You know, and,
1: and that's true. In fact, I mean, I was looking at the oldies, right? 50s, 50s and 60s music, it's a free pass for right. me sure. because it's just, it was just fun, right. you know? And the early 80s is much the same way. Yes. Because I mean, at one point I had Mickey on this list, but... Mickey I, I would argue without question is, is a guilty pleasure but it's not a guilty pleasure for me right because yes. it, it brings back a flood of very yes. good memories and I, I feel no shame playing so, Tony I, Hazel, no, So I, I
0: agree there's only one oh, we'll talk about it um, well probably not this episode but on side B okay. my one early 80s pick for, on my alternates list uh, I went with Poison oh. and I went with Talk Dirty to Me <laughs> I like that song I like it a lot okay um, <laughs> and it doesn't hurt the fact that it was on Guitar Hero, and I was obsessed with Guitar Hero wow, okay. for a while, so I must have played this song, to, you know, to, to get to the highest level or whatever, like hundreds of times. Now maybe we can discuss this. There's, I don't, I can't put my finger on it, but there's something early rock and roll about this song.
1: Well, I, mean, I know you, you're going to fight me tooth and nail. There's something about early rock and roll in a lot
0: of hair band
1: songs, but. Nonetheless, I I know what you're saying.
0: And I don't know. I mean, lyrically, it's somewhat of that, you know, parking the car and just kind of, you know, the whole song, of course, is you get the impression. Maybe I'm wrong, but it's a it's a it's a teenage couple basically sneaking around to become amorous with one another. And, you know, that's kind of a 50s thing. I mean, it's oh, yeah. the, the, you're parking at the point. And, and maybe I get it from the, the music itself. Um, it just, I don't know. It's just the structure of the song. I just couldn't put my finger on it. But I, there's something early rock and roll about it. I like it. Um, and it's hard to deny that the solo by CeCe DeVille is just great guitar solo. I'll give him props for that. Again, I'm not a big Poison fan. I'm not a Poison fan at all. But he, he can play. He can shred. Great guitar uh, solo. There, great guitar tone on that. Um, this is a kind of song I'm going to say is great to sing with a group of friends after you've had a few cold ones. <laughs> to sing it loudly, the more off-key the better. Because who cares if anyone stares, right? They're, they're just jealous because they're not having as much fun as you. Tomorrow you'll feel like a fool, but that's okay because <laughs> you had fun that night singing Poison's Talk Dirty me. You know I never,
3: I never seen you look so good.
0: just that just the just the guitar the way it starts yeah no oh, no I'm I'm with you and this is one of their earlier I think earlier songs maybe I'm wrong on that
1: uh, I don't know enough about Poison I don't either and I didn't look it up but to, a part
0: of me thinks that this may have been the first song I heard by them and I was like oh well, I kind of like this band and then every rose has its thorn or whatever came out and I'm like oh no this this is Well, good.
1: every rose has its thorn just bothered me lyrically because the the chorus doesn't align, but you're not a words, you're not a lyrics guy. I, no, neither I, one of us chose the song. I, like,
0: I mean, I'm assuming it's a metaphor for well, it's, n- it's for yeah. romance or breakup or whatever. But
1: yeah, well, it's uh, I don't know. I'm, we'll save that for another time. But but yeah, because you know every rose has its thorn. What he's doing is you know suggesting that everything beautiful is painful. Right. Right. But then you know in the examples that he gives, you know every cowboy has his dawn. Is one of the the you know phrases that he uses to align that that chorus? The dawn for the cowboy is not a painful thing. It's a new beginning. It's a new start. That line is just always thrown off the entirety of the song to me. It makes no sense. But no one chose that song, so we don't have to. Talk I thought
0: about it was it. every night has its dawn. In other words. Like, you're having a good time because you're partying at night, and then... Oh, no,
1: you're right, yeah. And then... The, every cowboy has a sad, sad song. Yeah, but no, every, every... night has its dawn.
0: But, but still... Because the, the fun ends when the morning comes, is what they're saying. You think? I it, think that that's it, how I've always interpreted it. Okay, because I always assumed that the nighttime is dark and ominous
1: and, and lonely and sad, and then the dawn is a new
0: beginning. But think of this is a hair band that's up all night partying, so <gasps> every night has its dawn, like, oh, crap... Now we have to well, hell, you go might, to work. You or may whatever. have just scolded me on on on, <laughs> well, there you go. on a
1: hairband, Dave. I, I might have newfound respect for every rose has its thorn. I've always interpreted that in a totally different way. Um, wow. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I, didn't... I mean
0: I mean we in Ohio we ha- the bars close at 2 a.m. Right. But in other states like in New York and California, I think they're open all night. So if you were out with your friends all night and eventually the bar's like, "It's hey, 6 a.m. We got to close. It's light out."
1: Okay so the idea is that they were having the time of their life and then morning comes yes. and it, it it just everything I think has American to graffiti
0: American graffiti
1: Okay yeah
0: you know the, the, you have a great night with your friends and you go to Vietnam
1: Done. <laughs> That that is a, a very <laughs> Um yeah I don't I don't see you know I don't see Poison, you know, <laughs> uh, on their way to to fight the Viet Cong. But I, I do, um, I, I get it. I've never thought of it in those terms. I just, I just always wondered why the dawn. Which you know, if you're talking, you know, symbolism, you know, yeah, is this, no, it's, it's it's they're partying, you know, they're partying. Okay. I and mean, here comes the sun by the Beatles. It's a beautiful right. thing, the dawn. So I never understood that, but.
0: Interesting, But I didn't pick that one. I picked Talk Dirty to Me.
1: No, but that was very much worth the
0: conversation. Because you it was just opened my mind to
1: something that I never... I
0: mean, in fact, okay, I, 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 like, I want to hear the song right now. That's how much I like this song. Okay. I'm embarrassed to, to, to like it that much. <laughs> I
1: never would... Okay, you said that you were picking songs that people would be surprised that you like. I never would have guessed. Yes. And Talk this is, Dirty to Me makes your list.
0: This is a song I, I would gladly blast... The, for the song itself, I would not be embarrassed to blast it out of my car. I would only be embarrassed if somebody recognized it as Poison and me listening to Poison. So I'm embarrassed by the band in this case. Like I just okay. really wish the song was by some other like one hit wonder artist and I could just openly yeah. embrace it.
1: Well, I, you know, you said 87 here, but I had no idea where you were going. I mean, it could have been The Final Countdown by Europe. It could have been Cherry, not a bad song cherry Pie by Warrant. I didn't know where I you I told were you, going.
0: I didn't mind this, like the Swedish yeah. metal bands. Anyway.
1: wouldn't have minded hearing Cherry Pie. That would have been... But, um, Nonetheless, yeah, it just talked dirty to me. Is that 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 is surprising to me? You win that one, okay? Well, my number four, we're going back to the 70s, 1976, from an album titled Kung Fu Fighting and Other Great Love Songs. <laughs> <Yeah>, that <this laughs> okay. one qualifies, yeah, yeah. All right, so in in the early 70s, you know, the world was gripped by a kung fu craze, you know, martial arts films, you had, you had King Boxer, Bruce Lee's Under the Dragon. I mean, it. it brought the, the ancient Chinese martial art philosophy to a mainstream audience.
0: And it's then, such a 70s thing. It is,
1: yeah. And then Lee, of course, I mean, his early death in, in 73 only served to heighten the mystique surrounding him. And then you had the TV series Kung Fu, which was based on an idea by Bruce Lee, David Carradine, of course, uh, playing the Shaolin monk who, who wanders the Wild West in search of his lost brother. And then Kung Fu crossed over into African-American entertainment in the form of exploitation movies. Okay, he had He had Black Dragon, uh, as an example and that there was something about the discipline the training the exoticism and, and even the violence of kung fu that resonated with young western audiences right I cared nothing about any of that
0: <laughs> I, 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 I knew a lot of kids that did yeah, and they'd like right. to pretend they were doing karate in yeah. the backyard and yeah
1: exactly I, I, I wanted
0: to do a whole Indiana Jones and just punch them and right, walk away yeah, I, I, did, I cared
1: yeah. nothing about that all I knew of the kung fu craze was that I was four years old at, at you know when it began and I loved Hong Kong fooey Yeah. yeah. And as I said last season, when we were curating our our third remote control mixtape, I was a Hanna Barbera junkie. I woke up, you know, before the the sun on Saturday mornings in anticipation of the, you know, the bumbling dog in an orange robe who sounded conspicuously like Scatman Crothers. So, in time, though, I was introduced to the hit single "Kung Fu Fighting" by Carl Douglas, and I have no memory of where or when I first heard this song, but I quickly recognized the song's thematic connection to my favorite cartoon. And so for a two- or three-year period, it was my favorite song. My dad purchased the 45 for me, and with his help, I played it on repeat and, until it was horribly scratched and skippy. And, and I used to robe myself in one of my father's dress shirts, and it you know, was just so huge on me. It was essentially, a, a, in my mind, a, a kung fu. It was a karate robe is how I imagined it. And I would tie around my torso uh, you know, one of his ties to hold the shirt in place. And then in full costume, I invented a Kung Fu dance. And I, I remember this vividly. I used to perform this dance for anybody willing to watch. In fact, I remember one time I got so into it in our living room that I lost my balance and I fell back and I hit the corner of our coffee table and huge gash in my head. I'm bleeding and did not cry, did not. I, mean, I literally got up and continued that dance. <laughs> okay, I loved this song and I still laugh at all the memories involved. That's not the best part, though, because 30 years later, I became a dad. And when my older son was about five years old, we sat together and we watched Hong Kong Fui on Boomerang. And for a while, it was one of his favorite cartoons. So naturally, I also introduced him to Kung Fu Fighting. I used to make CD mixes for, for both of my boys, actually. And Kung Fu Fighting made it onto the first CD mix that I, I made for, for my older son. Now, here's the kicker. Okay, one day of his own volition, I never told him the stories about when I was younger. But one day my son raided my closet when I wasn't looking, and he came to me wearing one of my dress shirts, and he handed me one of my ties and he asked me to tie the oversized shirt in place. And this was this was some serious déjà vu.
0: The nut doesn't fall too far. Yeah,
1: it really doesn't. So, I mean, I I secured the shirt and he turned on Kung Fu Fighting and he commenced to dance around our living room, jumping, kicking, karate chopping. And, you know, what he lacked in rhythm, he more than made up for it in style. And I I laughed until I cried, Dave. I mean, I I filmed him for a while and I took a number of photos. I don't know if you remember the bar mitzvah slideshow you you created for him. Hmm? But I have him singing the song. I have him uh, in a couple of photos, you know, doing his little dance in the, the shirt and tie Ensemble, but then you know, as I was taking pictures, I realized I'm I'm always quick to take pictures, and you know, I always want to kick myself after because while I preserved that moment in time, I wasn't a part of it. So uh, you know, I realized I was missing the golden opportunity. I put down the camera, I joined in, and together we danced and danced and laughed and laughed. I mean, it's one of my absolute favorite memories of when he was little. So you know, I I admit that in some ways the song is problematic. I mean, we talked with Weird Al about yeah, songs yeah, that would yeah, not be yeah. recorded today. You know, the term Chinaman is a slur, to be sure, I and mean, there are far worse, but that doesn't make it right. And the song's plinky nine-note Chinese motif, I mean, it has a long history of its own. I mean, its it's been the subject of learned discourse. There's no evidence at all that it is Chinese. <laughs> but it seems that at least since the mid-19th century, it's been used as a trope in Western popular culture to signify stereotypically Chineseness and more broadly Asian-ness.
0: So, yeah, I mean, I'm turning Japanese begins with that yeah, as well. It yeah, it does,
1: yeah. So I mean, it's doubtful that the song would be released today. But still, it is one of the best-selling singles of the disco era. And it remains much loved by a great many people, myself included. So yeah, it's without question a guilty pleasure. But for me, whether right or wrong, it is a reminder of childhood innocence and, and just that bond between father and son. And it holds a very special place in my heart. I had to include it. I mean, it just—I uh, hear the song, I think of my dad, I think of my son, and I mean, it's just—I, it, I could, I could listen to it all day, just as those memories flood me. Oh.
2: It was cold
0: have a good story for my number four um, is that my number four is it yeah you know what I just misnumbered along the way so um, okay so we're back to the Swedish hit factory okay after Ace of Bass they, they did fairly well they had a couple hit singles but I think the, the Swedes realized at that point that alright we have the song um, we, need to, to, we need the image if we're going to sell to Americans you know the, the Swedish performer thing is only going to go so far and this is where the whole 90s pop, mid-90s, late-90s boy bands, female singers, most of them, most of the music, that, at least the hits, were written by these Swedish songwriters. In fact, a lot of the albums from NSYNC and Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears were actually recorded in the studio in Sweden. They flew them over there to create the album. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know that. So, again, it's, it's, it's genius marketing, right? You have a formula that works. Um, you, you, you write the songs with the formula, and now you're putting the faces that kids are going to hang up on their walls with their posters, and they're going to want to see in concert. So to represent all of those boy bands and, and, and female artists, because I don't think there were too many girl bands. There were like Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. They were, they were you know, solo right so that's why I say that say it that way I'm gonna go with Bye 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 by NSYNC oh wow I like this song
1: okay I you know that is often my encore song is what I is it really yeah. yeah cause I usually I play Closing Time by Sonic and then immediately Bye 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 because I'm hoping the you know the, the dance floor gets the hint that I'm done so
0: I like this song It's it was two th- 2000 so yeah late 90s and into the 2000s I guess is like the boy band revolution right um, so I had to include at least one boy band there there were some Backstreet Boy songs that I could probably pick uh, I Want It That Way would be a guilty pleasure a, a song of mine really it's just it's just a good song okay it is it's, I no I,
1: I, I'm not arguing that it kind of reminds
0: i'm going to talk later on with a different artist about um, total request live uh, on mtv <laughs> oh yeah but we were young teachers at the time and yeah. my, my poor attempt to try and stay relevant to the generation in which i was trying to instruct i would go home and i would watch these pop videos and um and i just remember like you know i hated like i, I didn't like the boy band thing i wasn't into that but i just thought it was a really good song okay I still, you know, and it, it didn't hurt that Weird I had a parody of right. it. Right, yeah,
1: eBay. And so
0: now if I right. want to hear the song, the melody, I just listen to eBay, and then it's not a guilty pleasure right There now. you go, yeah. Bye, bye, bye. Um, I'm not sure, like, why this one stands out to me more than any other, like, sync song or boy band song. It just, it might, I don't know, just once in a while a song comes around, and I think I've talked about this before. It just hits you someplace, and it just, everything's right, and you never get sick of it. And this is one. In fact, I remember at the time, I think it was Na- was it after Napster, LimeWire, I think it was, where you could download the beginning of the illegal downloading phase in mm-hmm. the early yeah. 2000s, right? And at the time, there was no Spotify, so you still had to buy music. And I wasn't going to go out and buy an NSYNC album. I wasn't going to go buy a CD single of NSYNC. I wasn't going to listen to Pop Radio to hear that song. So that might have been where a lot of my guilty pleasures came from. I would, I would download these songs from, from LimeWire, and i put them on a CD, and I'd put some cryptic name, and that's where I would listen to Bye Bye You know, I,
1: I, I very, very vaguely remember LimeWire. I mean, that's...
0: Yeah, that was the one, I think, that was the big for how, how
1: long were they even, was it even around?
0: I mean, no, I mean, that was right about the time. I mean, it, it really, Napster came about when we were in college.
1: I remember Napster. LimeWire I Napster,
0: but... was, again, around 2000, we're a little bit later. Okay. And that's when the music industry realized they needed to come up with... You know, a legitimate legal oh, yeah. way that people would pay a subscription if yeah. it were affordable enough. Thank you, Metallica. So yeah, yeah.
1: Um, yeah. I um, I just I I remember the name. I don't think I ever used it. It's I just mm-hmm. I, I you. I'm sorry. You you mentioned Langley. No, that's it, right. It's yeah. like I. It, it, I remember the name, but it, like, I have no memory of the platform.
0: Yeah. So. It was just a site sharing kind of thing. It, it, it pulled, not to get too technical, but it, you know, let's say 100 people shared the song. Instead of, you were not directly sharing with one person. So you, they, they tried to get around the legal loophole because they would take one portion of the song from one copy, one from another, and they would break it up like a puzzle and then put it back together when it came to your computer. So in a way, you weren't wow. sharing directly. And that's okay. what these file sharing sites would do to try to get around the and they were able to the piece it, it together.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's, they put obviously they
0: did. Yeah, but, yeah. that, was, that huh. was the algorithm. Of all the boy band members, right, Justin Timberlake has gone on to, like, by far, be the most successful.
1: Oh, hell. I mean, he brought sexy back.
0: So. And, like, you know, he went on and had, a, I would say, a legitimate solo career. I mean, he did some really cool stuff. Solo, um, his comedy chops. Every time he hosts SNL. Oh, yeah. I'm like he he could he would be the most popular cast member as a full time cast member on Saturday Night Live. Oh yeah, and he's a pretty decent actor. Um, actually, do you have Apple TV? I do. Uh, if you haven't watched the movie Palmer, watch Palmer. Okay. Um, no, I haven't he, seen he, it. He does a very very nice job in that movie. So, yeah. Um, I, I uh, yeah I I haven't seen him in
1: much. I I remember the first time
0: I saw him was Black Snake Moan, which oh yeah he, yeah yeah. He,
1: I mean, he was no Samuel Jackson or Christina Ricci, but, I mean, he, he, he
0: held his own. I mean, a lot of those um, artists, they, they had they had their roots as child actors, right? In, in the new Mickey Mouse Club, um, which was past our time as children, right? Right. I think my sister, who's 14 years my junior, I think may have watched it. Um, but you had Justin Timberlake, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, um, Brian Gosling, they all came from the new Mickey Mouse Club. Right. So, you know, they were talented individuals, but he just had what it took and taking it the farthest, so, yeah, I'm gonna go with Bye Bye Bye, just a great pop song, and that's my representative for the boy bands.
1: I have no '90s boy bands, so to and I have no hair bands, so you're, we're filling in the gaps here right, for each one, right. each other nicely. Um, yeah, Justin just Timberlake. I mean, he he's he's the real deal. I, I I I actually have quite a bit of respect for for him as a as a performer. Um, and I mean that you know can't stop this feeling. I mean that was just
0: yeah huge. oh yeah yeah. I
1: and mean, I don't know that there's any song that has been so widely popular, uh, at least for me, you know, as a wedding DJ, is, is Can't Stop the Feeling. I mean, it's just, it, it's still, people come out like it's, you know, number one on the charts today when, when I play it.
3: Is that
0: the one the where he sings it, with Michael? This uh, no, is no. the one. There's another one. That's yeah. a, it's a Michael song, right? That, um, um, that after his death, and the oh, hell, what is that? He sings all over top of it. Yeah, I I, I like that song. A lot. I haven't
1: played that one in a while. No, can't stop the feeling. I think it was actually from the Trolls movie.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I can't think of it, but I'm sure. Um, heard a uh, suit and tie was another suit and tie, one he had. Yeah, so yeah, yeah no, I know. Yeah. I I give him respect.
1: Yeah, crime a River is a great song. I um the only problem I have with Justin Timberlake is you know he played a, a very significant role in in you know the the Basically, the, the destruction of, of Britney Spears. So,
0: so I haven't watched the documentary yet, so I don't know it, yeah. anything about well, that. It. Yeah, he,
1: um, he 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 played a part in in you know her her meltdown. So, um, but nonetheless, I mean, musically, he's yeah, he's, he's the real deal, and he really is the only one from NSYNC that
0: well you know, is still going. I mean, a lot of them are tired. They're all coming back in some way. I know, like 90 Degrees has a new album coming out. Um, debbie gibson has a new album coming out
1: she she's continued to record
0: so she, as deborah gibson uh, yes but from what i read and i didn't read too closely but from the headline i saw it's as debbie gibson so i'm wondering if she's going to return hmm. to some of her well, youthful I, sound
1: i've heard that the lead single has been released but i've I've not heard it yet um from from that album Oh okay um, right, cool so but yeah i mean she's she, De, debbie never went away um and I'm going to be talking about her here soon.
0: So. Oh, we'll have an artist match, then. Oh, check
1: that out. Okay. Um, you, you done? I'm done. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, my next song, okay, it's from 1999. It hit number three on the charts. It is from an album titled A Little Bit of Mambo. Oh,
0: no. <laughs> <Okay>.
1: <laughs> now, I'll admit it. Latin music, it makes me happy. I mean, you know, you have breathtaking turns. You got floating hips, the, the taut, enticing embrace of a dance partner, I mean, it's flirty, it's sensual, it conjures up balmy nights, you know, azure, ocean waters, Caribbean spices, and it's all set to enticing rhythms that turn heads and draw eyes to the dance floor. So, as a drummer, especially, I get lost in the island beats of sizzling percussion. I I love Latin music. The mambo is one of the most vivacious of all Latin rhythms and dancing styles, and it's, its history is fascinating. Um, I actually looked this up. It it originated in the areas of of Haitian settlements in Cuba, and many sources claim that the dance was named after Haitian voodoo priests who were called the mambo. Um, These priests, they, they served the villagers as healers and spiritual advisors, but mambo was also a word that was used for the drums that were used in their rituals. Still, other sources say that the word was used to mean shake it or as, quote, a conversation with the gods. okay. But Mambo as we know it today was actually the creation of Cuban-Mexican band leader Perez Prado. And in the 1940s, he blended the traditional Cuban rhythms with American swing to create the alluring beats and the accompanying dance moves. He was known as the king of the Mambo. And Prado recorded numerous Mambo's. And when he ran out of inspiration, he would simply number them. Hmm. And Mambo Number 5 was one of a series of eight. Okay. I didn't know a lot of that. So Prado's version was an instrumental. They all were instrumentals. And it stayed that way until 1999 when German pop musician Lou Bega added lyrics to it, transforming it into a love song for several women,
0: okay? (laughs) Quite a handful of them.
1: Namely, Angela, Pamela, Sandra, Rita, Monica, Erica, Tina, Mary, and Jessica. (laughs) Now, Bega told Fox News, I guess, that the story behind the song was a simple one. He dated all these pretty nice ladies when he was younger, okay? And he said that the names of, of his past just came to him. He wrote them down. He got the melody, and the rest was history. And asked if he had a favorite. Bega replied, my favorite was Sandra. That's why she was the one in the sun. Okay, interesting. Um, you know, I'm not alone in my love for Vega's hit single. Because according to a study by Spotify, have you seen this? I have not. It was, it was a study that was done just in July, at the end of July, Okay. Mambo number five wins the title of the world's most popular guilty pleasure tune. Spotify basically analyzed more than 120,000, quote, guilty pleasures playlists created by its users. Okay, any any playlist that's, that was titled guilty pleasures. They, they looked at over 120,000 playlists.
0: That were made public.
1: That were, well... I, I don't know. The study didn't say... what they're, they're looking
0: at my private playlist, I have a beef with Spotify. Yeah. No, anyway. <laughs>
1: I'm going to assume it's public, but I... <laughs> no, I'm but, sure
0: they do. I'm sure they're yeah. looking at my private playlist.
1: Yeah, one, well, I'm, I'm sure. But nonetheless, yeah, I, it, the study didn't go into great detail about public versus private. But they, they analyzed more than 120,000 playlists created by their users to discover which songs appear most frequently on these guilty pleasures playlists. And Lou Bega came out on top. Okay? The second place... Guilty Pleasure. Okay, the song that comes second in of all songs on Guilty Pleasure's playlist is Wake Me Up Before You Go Go. And at number three, it's My Sharona. Oh, interesting. Which I see My Sharona is a song that I would not
0: consider. Yeah, I mean those are the early eighties songs that are that we talked exactly. about already. So
1: and, and Spotify also, I guess, divided the results into men's and women's guiltiest pleasures. So they, they divided it by gender. And pop songs just reign supreme. One direction's what makes you beautiful received the top billing for women. Hmm. And Carly Rae Jepsen's "Call Me Maybe" was the oh, top yeah. honors
0: for me. Oh, that's a good one. I might have picked Man. that as a. I, I, that might have made my list. It almost made
1: mine. Yeah, that might have made my I, list. I, I didn't think of that. Yeah, one. I, I kind of dig. You know, "Call Me Maybe." Yeah, yeah. but yeah, Lou Bega, uh, "Mama Number 5, When when you take all the playlists well, what together, what year was that? Ninety nine. Okay. Um, yeah, it's it's just you know I I love the Latin music and and. I'm sorry. I I still I get a kick out of Mama Number Five. I, I will bounce around the room anytime that song plays. I
2: I, it's, I can't control myself.
1: It's just so much fun. One
2: two three four five. Everybody in the car, so come on, let's ride to the liquor store around the corner. The boys say they want some gin and juice, but I really don't wanna be a buzz like I had last week. I must stay deep, cause talk is cheap I like Angela, Pamela, Sandra, and Rita And as I continue, you know they're getting sweeter So what can I do? I really value you, my lord To me, flirting is just like a sport Anything fly, it's all good Let me definitely sing in the trumpet A little bit of Monica in my life A little bit of Erica by my side A little bit of Rita's all I need A little bit of Tina's what I see A little bit of Sandra in the sun A little bit of Mary all night long A little bit of Jessica, here I am A little bit of you makes me your man
0: See, I I have a very negative um, memory of that song. Really? Yeah. So I I can't, I'm not, I'm biased in this... You know, decision of whether or not I like the song because of this negative. Um, and as an Indians fan, you will appreciate it. it was, I think it was '99. It was the postseason. You
1: sound like you're about to cry, Dave.
0: No, 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 <laughs> no, like <all> right. <laughs> Well, Indians fans, Cleveland fans. No, Cleveland no, um, fans cry out. I, I don't remember the details because I'm old, but um, I just know that <laughs> it was the playoffs. It may have been the AFC. Um, no, 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 yeah, AFC. That's football. Um, the American League Championship Series to go to the to the um, what's that Super Bowl to go to the World Series or I mean I don't know. You are struggling. <laughs> it was the playoffs. it. And the Cleveland Indians were playing the Boston Red Sox. Uh, and it was the last game. So I don't know. It was Game Seven or whatever. And um, what was the name of the pitcher? Uh, there was their starting ace. I can't remember his name now. Oh, Pedro Martinez. Pedro Martinez. Yeah. And you know how sometimes in the playoffs, you know, if they're trying to close it out, they'll bring in their ace for an inning. Right, yeah. Normally, obviously, he wouldn't be a closer. And I just remember, I think we were ahead by one. I, I should have looked this up. I think the Indians were ahead, and then they had Pedro Martinez warming up in the bullpen. And he was warming up to Mambo Number 5.
1: Oh, okay.
0: And he came in, and we lost that game.
1: Yeah, but that's, that's just, that's that's I'm just telling you why I have a negative that's Indians baseball
0: I'm just telling you why I have a negative ever since then yeah. I, I could never listen to that song
1: yeah I, I think of how many times we were ahead and winning the World Series and then I mean even Sabathia just totally caved and, and you know I still remember that game game seven yeah. Um
3: yeah, I, you mean Jose,
0: Jose Mesa, the closer for Game Seven in 1997? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, sorry, did I say Mesa.
1: Sabathia. Yeah, I'm there's
0: just, a lot of trauma here. We need yeah, to we need to yeah. keep yeah. moving.
1: Ho, Mark, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't right. know why I said CC. Um, yeah, no, it was Jose
0: Mesa. He pitched a couple good ones against the did, Yankees, and then yeah. he became a Yankee.
1: Yeah, well, he's retired now. Yep, Sabathia finally. Sabathia's he had a huge game. career. Yeah, long career. Um, yeah, I don't know why I said Sabathia. It was Jose Mesa. Um, but yeah, I, I just uh, okay. I do not remember what martinez uh warmed up to in the bullpen but That's i will, I will you take did. your
0: word for it you know you you're, mo- you're so emotional during those times U-A-L, something yeah. little just okay uh, all right here's one are you, are you I'm, I'm, okay i'm done yeah um this one uh came out in 2010 this is probably the most current song that i have okay um it, uh i think this this is when i had my first midlife crisis okay, okay. <laughs> i've gone through several in my life so here I am pushing 40, about 38 years old, and just felt really clueless to the pop music that was coming out in youth culture. And, you know, that's just going to be a, a theme right throughout my life. Um, but I was feeling like all of a sudden I liked all this pop music that was coming out. And so I started listening to it. And again, not that anybody heard, but I had a couple CDs worth of songs that I either got from iTunes or downloaded. That, that This is probably past LimeWire. And now it's like the you can buy a song for a dollar. It started with iTunes. And then it went to Amazon and you, you still can do it. But. Yeah, yeah. So I started just, yeah, I'm like, okay, I'll pay a buck. And so I didn't do LimeWire anymore. So I'd make these Guilty Pleasure CDs of songs that were popular at the time and listen to them in the car by myself. And and of all of them, the only one that I really still remember that I would say I still like, and was probably the silliest song of all of them, is from the Far East Movement. Do you remember Far East Movement? Like yeah. a G6. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. I'm not sure if everyone remembers that song. So... G six starts with an underlying bass heavy rhythm synth, which is just incredible.
1: I can't remember the last time I heard this.
0: I know. See, that's it's why like
1: this you're talking ancient history, and it's only well, it's only
0: been a decade. I, I, I still like ten, fun ten years removed, and
1: it's like I I vaguely remember
0: the. the I will. Song. I still play this. I play it in the car, uh, and in fact, the kids there was a parody of the song at the time on YouTube called "Like a Cheese Stick," <laughs> and so. <laughs> I would play right? this with the kids in the car and they would sing Like a Cheese Stick, which I still remember that. Um, not quite Kung Fu fighting, but we right. have fun yeah. with it. Um, but yeah, the, the the synth, you know, this is, you mentioned Paul Abdul, this is Peak doing whatever they do in the studio, right? They're manufacturing these perfect tones, these perfect vibrations. It sounds great on the car stereo. Um, the vocals are clear and pleasant, uh, but the lyrics are just, just really silly, right? Um, Far East Movement, in fact, it's the... I want to say, first Asian-American band to hit number one on Billboard. Hmm. So you had this Asian-American band that were kind of doing the um, club, the American club music scene type of thing. And so they're talking about, you know, popping bottles and drinking champagne and getting on this jet, this G6 jet or whatever, and flying across the country, live, living the life, the, the high life, basically. Right. It's just about that, in which I, I know a lot of hip-hop and rap is about that. It's just the way they sing about it, it it sounds a little ridiculous um but yes i just love jamming to this it, it looped in my car for many many years um and i still once in a while i might throw it on uh and just just you know have fun with this one
3: popping bottles in the-
0: Even people that liked the song back in 2010 right would you know, probably judge someone listening today so a lot of my guilty pleasure songs are songs that other people would still say no that's a great song I, I don't I'm not sure how many people that love this song at the time would still say they like this song
1: yeah I I, well, I don't know that I was a huge fan of it you know when it when it's it infectious
0: well, no, again I, I want to listen to it right now because <laughs> I love this song no
1: I, I well, in fairness, I, I barely, barely remember it. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't remember being, you know, a huge fan. But um,
0: it's everything the Black Eyed Peas were not. Like, I, I, I didn't like the Black Eyed Peas. I thought they were silly. And I didn't like them. And again, I'm not disparaging people. But it was kind of like the same thing the Black Eyed Peas were trying to do. But I like the way they did it. And you know what it might be? It might be it was silly because maybe that was their whole thing. Um, there was tongue-in-cheek the whole thing might have been tongue-in-cheek okay. and I picked up on that and that's why Where I felt like the black-eyed peas were really trying to be serious. Yeah, and just looked ridiculous uh, a Far East movement knew they were being ridiculous, and they just played it off and nobody got the joke <laughs> Maybe some of us. I don't know. I don't know
1: Well, I, yeah well, I in mean, any 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 band that, that is very deliberately self deprecating, you know, in, in their.
0: But they're not deprecating. They're, they, it's just, it's hard. When you listen to it again, okay. you'll kind yeah, of do it. I'm going to have to
1: hear it. it. I mean, it's been forever. Yeah. So, um, okay. Now, interesting choice. That's I'm looking forward to hearing it again.
0: In <laughs> stark contrast to my next one, but go ahead. It's your pick.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, my number six, this is the last one for side A. Um, it is. By Shania Twain, okay, from her huge, huge album, Come On Over, from 97. Um, it it's was it. the best-selling country album of all time when it, when it was released. It might still hold the record. I did not look to see if anything has beaten it. I, don't, I doubt anything has. Um, part of me wanted to start out by saying that I love Shania because of her rebel stance toward Nashville, and now she achieved success despite being spurned by that establishment. But I knew you were going to call BS on me because you know you and everybody else knows that I was won over by her looks, and you know, no one's you know entirely wrong <laughs> there. But I have another more personal reason for my love of her music because 22 years ago, the woman I love walked down the aisle to from this moment on. That was actually Gail's procession. Oh, okay. Her procession or her choice, and. You know, when she told me her song selection, I actually feigned indifference at the time I remember this, but she saw through me, and as she always does. In truth, I, I'll, I'll just say it, the 1997 ballad was the perfect choice, and in the two decades since, I would say no song has really come close to matching its wedding day sentiment.
0: Okay. Remember you said people want to remember the reception and whether the food was good?
1: Well, yeah, but I was—I was no, no, no. no, I'm saying, does that get me
0: off the hook for not remembering the (laughs) the song being played? Yes, okay, that that gets you off the hook. Yes, (laughs)
1: Um, yes. Well, it was a Jewish wedding. You were already, yeah. It's totally, you know. Uh, Nonetheless, um, you know, she could have. She could have picked any song for her entrance and I would have been fully on board because she also chose John Williams' throne room and end titles.
0: I do remember that. From Star Wars episode four, and as did, our did, recessional. Did
1: Tad do a Wookiee call and yes, one he of my, Yes, my groomsman, <laughs> our friend Tad, he pronounced the perfectly timed Wookiee Roar at our rehearsal dinner. I you know, a part of me really wishes he had done that at the wedding. <laughs> i I I I'm sure he thought it would have been in bad taste, but I would have loved yeah, to have heard the Wookiee Roar at the wedding. Um, nonetheless, I was going to include from this moment on as my Shania selection, but my wife insisted that the song is not a guilty pleasure.
0: Right. So okay. you picked man. I feel like a woman.
1: I did. Ah, oh, look at that. I did. Yes. Um, which, you know, if we're being totally honest, is an even bigger guilty pleasure given that I am a 48 year old man. <laughs> okay. Um, it was written by Shania Twain and her then producer husband, Robert Mutt Lang, and it was released in early 99 as the seventh single from her 97 album. Okay, it won the Grammy for Best Female Country Vocal Performance in two thousand. Damn, Dave, I I love this song,
0: <laughs> I just do. I love Shania Twain. Well,
1: I. I I can't help myself.
0: You need to watch that Netflix show I already referenced. This is pop. Okay. There is an episode about country music. Yeah. And you will really like it because it starts off talking about the roots of country music and what's considered like old country. Right. And then it talks about seventies country and outlaw country. So you had like the outlaw country with like Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings. And then like what a lot of people in the country establishment hated like John Denver
1: Oh, I, I remember. Okay.
0: You know, people, people
1: of course, remember Kanye interrupting Taylor Swift right. you know, at the Grammys. Yeah. But I remember when, when Charlie Rich, I, at the Country Music Awards, right? Uh, John Denver won the award and Charlie Rich actually set the... See,
0: he burnt it. He that, burnt it. Yeah, that, they they mentioned that in the special. Yeah. But then they talk about the more country, a certain segment of Nashville wanted to stay traditional. The other part knew that they could cash in for an audience, a new generation. And Shania Twain, according to the documentary, was the watershed moment.
1: Oh, she changed it all.
0: Of when country became pop and they became intertwined.
1: Well, and the thing is, I mean, she she was a Canadian princess with, with just a beautiful voice. And she was writing her songs with her husband, who was a renowned producer of hard rock, I mean, Mutt Lang, of course, ACDC, Def Leppard, there's very little country in her music. I mean, it is it is pure pop with a bit of country instrumentation. And and the album itself, you know, country albums at that point, to that point, and I'm not a country fan. Like Garth
0: Brooks would be another example, right. very similar. Yeah, Garth
1: was similar. But Garth still had story songs, which yeah. is, which, yeah, which has always been the bread and butter right. of, of country right. music. Right. Her songs were fluff, they just were. And you know, Basically, to that point, country albums were always ten songs long and from start to finish it was a thirty minute listening experience. She put out on Come On Over sixteen songs and it was it was billed as over an hour of music. And I mean just everything about her, everything that she did, country purists, they hated Shania Twain. She changed I mean she she pulled the rug out from under them and I mean everything country music was forever changed because of Shania Twain. I'm
3: going out tonight, I'm feeling alright Gonna let it all hang out Wanna make some noise, and really raise my voice Yeah, I wanna scream and shout
0: Woman. I can um, see where people say it's a guilty pleasure. I just think, again, it's a it's a perfectly written, produced, and performed oh, and pop song. Yeah, it is. It's a masterpiece. Yeah,
1: it really is. I,
0: it's not a song that I listen to, but I recognize it as a masterpiece.
1: Yeah. Um, no, I, I 100% agree. But, uh, okay, I have to admit, though, I, I went with Man, I, because there was a part of me that thought uh, that don't impress me much, but I never cared for that song in the way that I like Man, I Feel Like a Woman. But I think, man, I feel like a woman. I love it in large part due to its music
0: video. Do you remember well, the video? The Robert Palmer parody? Yeah. I mean, it, it, Where they switch the genders? Yes.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. She parodies Robert Palmer's Addicted to Love, right? The row reversal clip shows Twain singing on stage in formal attire surrounded by sexy male musicians all dressed in red. But unlike Robert Palmer, thankfully, <laughs> because no one wants to see Robert Palmer do this, Shania gradually disrobes as the video plays. So by song's end, her outfit reveals and flaunts her curves, right? Which always left me wondering what the hell you know Mut Lang was thinking when he cheated on and then divorced this Canadian beauty. But you know I digress with that statement. Shania, you know, she originally wrote the song as a message of encouragement to herself before transforming it into a celebration of her of her transition into a, into womanhood. She she actually, you know, has said in interviews that the inspiration was that she, you know she she had grown up largely a, a tomboy. But once she started getting curves, it took her a long time to accept her female body. Um, And she said the inspiration was that she started to appreciate the fact that she could have fun being a woman. And she didn't realize that it would have such an impact on others, uh, that so many other women would relate to it. But, yeah, I don't know. In truth, there's just an element of datedness to pretty much everything in Shania's catalog. I mean, there's just so much late 90s pop production.
3: Race. Oh,
0: it, it's, it's it's polished. Yeah, it, it's squeaky clean. It is. Yeah, I mean, but it, you have that nice little riff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you have the O's, which, and then the whole thing just works so well. You would think the Swedes wrote it. Maybe they did. I don't know. I didn't.
1: Well, no, this this was Shania and. Mokai, okay, that's that's impressive. Just, just the two of them. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, it. When I say 90s pop production, I mean it almost sounds like it's anticipating Sheer's Believe at times, but uh, that's reason enough to be categorized guilty. And
0: there's sure. another episode of This Is Pop about. Auto tune, and yeah. they talk a lot about Sheriff oh, I'm, sure, I'm sure they believe do. in that one.
1: Um, but you know, the production, as you said, the production, the delivery—it's I mean, just so good. And, and very nearly every song, even the fillers, every song on that album, you know, is a classic despite itself. And, and as a reminder of my wedding day, I will forever hold a special place in my heart for Shania's music. So mm, good choice. I, I suppose, really, that's what many guilty pleasures are. Really, it's a musical remnant from the halcyon days when life was less complicated and stressful. You know. So that said, why why hide your musical taste? Embrace your embarrassing proclivity for the the cheesy music that moves you.
0: You are what you listen to, and but but you I, know I love Shania Twain. A cheesy song like "My Sharona," it's just a simple, you know, three chord song. Right. You could say this is cheesy, or you can say it's just pop, or it's too polished. But it is it's a great constructed song. Oh, it is. Yeah. You could take this and arrange it in a different way. You could strip it down, and it's just a great song. So you, or you could argue that you know performing this on just. On, a, on an acoustic guitar and, and and with some basic acoustic instruments would would maybe make it better. I don't know. Maybe to me, almost this kind of song is one of those exceptions where it screams for that type of production. It's appropriate because it's bigger than life. Yeah, the song is is, is just big. It's big. It needs that production. It works. Agreed. Never yeah. thought I'd be defending Shania Twain. But <laughs> it's good.
1: No, I I had to. I, I, I love Shania, and I and mean, she's just she's she's back, which. Um, she has a residency in Vegas now, which yeah. is kind of cool. So there you go. That's my number seven. So have we gone through the complete side A and we have not matched yet? We have yet? not
0: matched yet.
1: That is crazy
0: We know that we talk. will g- next week.
1: Yeah, yeah. We have some artist matches coming up at the very
0: but, least. But uh, yeah, we didn't know that. Um, there was a nice transition. I appreciate the transition because my next is um, from an artist from the 70s that is considered country, but old, not old country, not outlaw country maybe i don't know how the country, he wasn't included in the special so i don't know how old country felt about him if they felt the same way they felt about john denver or not but i'm talking about our buddy kenny rogers oh yeah now kenny always seemed to get a free pass okay
1: yeah i think i think you know outlaw country they they loved kenny because he
0: i don't know if outlaw country was a little more a little no, rougher around the edges
1: well it, it was i mean willie and waylon i mean they're I I love I love me some
0: A.K.A. involves pot no. yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah Um But no Kenny, Kenny Rogers didn't cross over until later in his career because when he started out I mean he was pure country
0: You're right and so the song I'm choosing now would would I think definitely be considered a crossover oh, 1981 so this is okay. definitely when he's crossed over uh, I could have picked several <laughs> from Kenny True Kenny was played in my household growing up and so I I didn't see him as a country artist I just saw him as an artist that Mine I listened too. to he, he was my
1: mom's favorite artist she played him constantly
0: so we got that in common you know it's just kind of part of us these yeah. these songs yeah um I'm, I'm sure I heard this in a lot a lot of his music and did did your parents drag you to weddings growing up? Like when oh, we would yeah. go to yeah. I just remember going to all these weddings and and it just seemed like Kenny Rogers was all they played. Oh yeah,
1: I and some and his music didn't even necessarily fit the occasion. I mean, I can remember like Outlaw of the Country or uh, what
0: is it? Coward of the Coward of the County, Coward, Coward
1: of the Co- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Coward of the County, and and just uh, so many of his songs were just not well, wedding appropriate. It's, it's funny
0: before the ceremony, it seemed like you fill up my senses by John Denver. Was it? played at every single wedding. Uh. And then every I, I reception John, had Penny uh, Roger. I
1: love John Denver. I do. <laughs> and I but I almost put that song on my guilty pleasure list for this episode.
0: I didn't even know it was John Denver when I was a kid. I'm just like, why is this like an obligatory yeah. wedding song? Like there's yeah. always some guy in an acoustic it, guitar it's, it's playing it's actu- this song. Yeah,
1: it's actually Annie's song. It's the okay, title of yeah, his yeah, Annie's yeah, song. Yeah. You fill out my stuff. I almost put it on there because as much as I love John Denver, that one is just <laughs> it's so painful to listen to. But I, I, but I love it. I love John Denver. So
0: I vaguely remember singing every single verse of The Gambler in preschool. Is that where we're going? No, not Gambler. Oh, I'm just no, so excited. No. Sorry. Love The Gambler. But I do remember, I wouldn't consider that a guilty pleasure I wouldn't either. I just but, like. But I wouldn't
1: either, but it'd be fun to, to add to the, to the mixtape. <laughs> <So>. uh,
0: right. <laughs> Apparently in preschool, I could sing every single verse to anyone who would listen. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, anyway, I just wanted to establish where Kenny fits here. Now, I, 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 I own a compilation of Kenny Rogers. Occasionally, my wife and I put it in and we listen to it and we enjoy it, but he's not, he's no longer, I'm not like in the Kenny Rogers fan. And fandom. you gave
1: me so much grief over Islands in the Stream.
0: I don't like Islands in the Stream. I hate that song. I hate the song. I I'm not a it. huge fan it. either, but I hate it. Yeah. Okay. It's gross. All right. <laughs> anyway, this is, I, I chose a, a, this a, an epic sweeping ballad, which he has a lot of those okay? yes he um, the melody is a soaring melody I think it's reminiscent of a song like Endless Love very reminiscent a little faster than Endless Love it's one of those songs and it seems like every single Kenny Rogers song does this I don't know why it changes keys like four times Yeah, like you have the verse and then it goes up half a step and then, and then it goes up and this one does the exact same thing it builds, it builds, it builds um, the strings I'm going to talk about this in side B the strings the aggressive in your face almost shrill strings that exist on so many 70s songs mm-hmm. are here in full display uh, i suppose that's part of the charm i am talking about through the years
1: i knew which one you were talking <laughs> about yeah. yeah i knew yeah,
0: i mean those strings are like basically choking you uh, <laughs> but i have a nostalgia for those 70 strings cuz they were used so heavily and now it makes the song sound so dated but it's just part of that vibe. I can't remember
2: when you weren't there. When I didn't care for anyone but you. I swear, we've been through everything there is. Can't imagine anything we've missed. Can't imagine anything the two of us can't do through the years you've never let me down you've turned my life around the sweetest days i've found i found with you through the years i've never been afraid i've loved the life we've made and i'm so glad I stay right here
0: with you. The, years. the song is probably why I heard their weddings, because it's a perfect like oh, bridal yeah. dance song. Yeah. But you could change the lyrics a little bit. It could I, I think the song, the music reminds me more of a missing you breakup song. Yeah. The music to me feels like you know, I'm sad because you're gone, and I miss you. But the lyrics really are, if if I'm correct, because I'm not a lyric guy, but it's just celebrating a relationship that's lasted a long time. Oh yeah, yeah, so.
1: it's it's an anniversary. Yeah. Song without question.
0: So yeah, through the years. Yeah. But
1: no, I it, no that that one always made sense at the weddings. But yeah. I'm telling you, I would hear "Coward of the County." I'd hear
0: "Lucille," which is the worst possible song. <laughs> Reuben James, which didn't age well.
1: Yeah, I just there were so many songs by Kenny that I would hear perform. I mean. Of course, I would take Kenny Rogers over the Oak Ridge Boys any day. We could, One of us could have chosen a Well, yeah, that's true. For the,
0: for the Wait, not Reuben did. Reuben, no, um, uh, Coward of the county is the one that didn't age very well. I mean, it's pretty, well, well if you remember the story of the song. Well, I, he,
1: okay. He, maybe, no, maybe it is he, Reuben He d- didn't defend his,
0: no, it's not, or he didn't. Which is the one, how do I say this in Which is the one where the, 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 the female protagonist is taken advantage of
1: that's by, county. Okay.
0: That's county the county. Okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um. Well, I wouldn't say it didn't age. Well, it's just. Well, I mean, it's. it's Anything.
0: It's, it's disturbing. To sing about sexual assault in a yeah. country song. Well, yeah. You could have picked a host of other. You could have but crimes. The, but the for whole him point to is revenge. that he
1: didn't defend her honor. He I know. He, I know. You know, he I know. didn't fight for her because I know. he was the county. Yeah. It just um, it,
0: it, it, it makes it, I cringe when that song comes Yeah,
1: out. No, understandably. So.
0: All right. That side. That side. That <laughs> But we'll we'll put the gambler on. We have a lot of songs. to oh, put we on our alternate. Yeah, we've mentioned songs. Quite a few here. I, I mean, Every rose has its thorn.
1: Uh, um, we are the world. I, yeah, we are the I, world. Honestly, the alternates list may be just as fun this yes. time yes. as the yes. actual. Yes. Um, yeah, John Denver, I guess, just made the list. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, yeah any song. So, <laughs> <laughs>
0: all now, right. Although I'm looking more, I think I'm, I'm I, I almost inverted inverted my list because I'm more excited about side B.
1: Um, I have mine pretty well spaced out. I I like I like both my sides pretty even. I,
0: I just time. put I, I, in the order that I thought of them is the order where they appear. But I'm more excited for my second side. So okay, now save the best for last.
1: Very cool. All
0: right. Well, anything to add before we finish out this week?
1: Uh, I mean, yeah, you know, I have some final thoughts, but I'm going to save them for the end of next week's episode. Okay. Um, I I think we've. Well, we've already run long on this one. It's probably going to be a two-hour episode, but until we add music to it,
0: yeah, maybe. Yeah, but it'll it'll probably. Well, uh, last week was uh, weird. Out was fairly long as well. Yeah, he was. Yeah. They were they were just under two hours. So okay, I think we'll be there the same.
1: Well, but you know what? I, this one though, I don't think anyone's going to. This is going to be. I don't know. I, I'm hoping that this one really resonates with our listeners because yeah. I mean, like, just talking with you know, your your wife upstairs. I mean, this one's going to be just fun to listen mm-hmm. to. Guilty Pleasures are fun songs. So, I mean, from start to finish, by the time we put the entirety of the mixtape together, I mean, it's... This one's just going to be... It's going to be goofy. It's going to be carefree and whimsical. I mean, it, this is going to be a, a playlist that I will, you know, turn yep. on on Spotify probably for years to come. So, um running long, I don't feel bad about it at all.
0: Yeah, I, well, honestly, I was feeling a little bit down today and um I didn't... I wanted to prepare... I, I worked on my notes about a week ago, but I want to go through and listen to the you know to the set list again or the playlist. Right. And I just I didn't want I didn't want to be cheered up. I wanted to I wanted to wallow in my sorrow. Um, basically, my son's off to school and I miss him. You know, not to oh, yeah. get too much into yeah. it, but I was just feeling a little bit down because you know I like having him around the summertime. And uh, and I just you know sometimes you want to feel sad a little bit it's cathartic. And I'm like, oh now I got to listen to all these these happy songs. And what did it do? It elevated my mood oh, yeah. like I said it's it's going to every time yeah
1: all right all right well, well um, just a shout out to our our, uh, our sponsor Jake Callahan painting um, you know look her up on on social media she is incredible uh, with what she does and she she will do you proud um, you know for all your painting needs Jake Callahan painting out of Cleveland and serving the greater Cleveland area um, that that's I think we're good. All right. All
0: right. Well, that's all for this week. Hot funk, cool punk, even if it's old junk. Another mix of memories awaits next week.
1: But for now, press pause, lift the needle, and hit eject. And we will see you on the flip side.